0: Uh, comes from one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, Uh, Exodus 3. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he uh, led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. the god of isaac and the god of jacob and moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at god then the lord said i have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in egypt and i have heard their cry of their task and heard their cry because of their taskmasters i know their sufferings and i have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the egyptians to bring them up out of out of that land to a good and broad land a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the per- uh, Parasites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt." But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they asked me, what is is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what you have done, what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice. And you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness. That we may sacrifice to the Lord, our God. But I know the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give his people favor. I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who gives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters, so you shall plunder the Egyptians.
1: Thank you, John. That was a little bit long of a reading, but that was intentional. So um, let me invite our children to Children's Church. tommy is one of our children just just so you know okay let's let's open a word of prayer and then we'll turn to the word of the lord Uh, father thank you so much for uh, christmas and uh, getting to sing these songs of uh, just the majesty of christ as we went caroling last night we were singing and and to say uh, to sing to people about the uh, god incarnate who, who has come, and, and our King, and those kinds of things. It just fills me with joy every year. And so, Lord, I pray that you would bless this Christian Christmas season, uh, Lord, that your people would find even greater reason to rejoice. And Lord, we pray that you would bring um, a spirit of revival to our land, that you would send your spirit upon many people who would turn and trust in Jesus Christ again. Have mercy on us, we ask. And Father, uh, we want to pray for the Bohannon family as um, David's sister Kathy has been having seizures and recently passed away. Lord, it's probably a mercy that she um, didn't have the seizures anymore, but now the family is going to grieve the loss of their sister and have to plan with uh, how to how to send her off appropriately, how to remember her appropriately. So Lord, I pray for the whole family, but especially for David as the eldest, he'll, he'll probably have to shoulder some of this burden and just have mercy on them and, and fill them with your grace and uh, through the, the grief, Lord, may they find hope in the resurrection as well. And uh, Father, we want to pray also for the Stromberg family as, uh, as um, Dan is continuing to have to uh, deal with the, the questions around his sister's conservatorship and um, the, the numerous people involved in the bureaucracy and all of those things. Lord, I just pray again that you would give Dan great wisdom and uh, and, and clear vision of what needs to be done, what's best for his family and for Ruth. Father, that you'd give Kathy, Kathy strength to, uh, to uh, hear her husband and to support him and love him, and, and um, she's being troubled by all this, too, so give her a sense of peace, and Lord, we just ask that you would uh, resolve that situation. Pray again for our brother, Bob Kemple, that you would heal him and bring him back to us soon, and uh, Lord, we now, as we turn to your word, we pray that you, Holy Spirit, would come and fill us to help us understand, to see, and to get what it is that you have for us to hear this morning. And Lord, we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. 50 something years ago, I was a 10 year old kid. You do the math. Um, And I was watching on television as Apollo 17 returned to uh, earth. It was the last Apollo mission. We wouldn't be going back. Um, that, That was it. And as a 10 year old kid, I was like, okay, that's cool. And I went outside and played. It just never occurred to me. But I never thought that I would get to see us return to the moon in my lifetime. I, didn't, I just had no clue that that was going to happen. Well, we're not going back with Apollo. We're going back with Apollo's twin sister, Artemis. And so Artemis was a mission that just launched uncrewed, nobody in the capsule, but proof of concept, can this thing work? Went out, circled the moon. And uh, just this morning, I was watching as it splashed down, uh, not too far off from away from here off the coast of Baja, California. And the thing was, the whole mission beginning to end was dead center, middle of the road, exactly as they anticipated everything. As a matter of fact, they got to a point where the Orion crew capsule, the part that splashed down, was performing so well. They're like, well, what else can we do while we're up there? We haven't had any problems. So it's just been great. It's really exciting to see this. And Artemis II, which will probably be about three or four years from now, will have a crew, but they won't land on the moon. They'll just make sure that uh, all those systems work. Artemis 3 will be the one that lands on the moon and we begin to establish a permanent uh, presence there. I, I just nerd out about this stuff really hard. I think it's really exciting. But the question is, why do, we, why do we do Artemis 1? Why do we send an uncrewed capsule up there and circle it around and make sure everything worked? Well, we want to make sure everything works. We don't want to put a human being in there and risk them. And so what we did is we got this preview. And this preview went perfectly center line all the way down the board, every single system functioned perfectly, everything worked, everything behaved as it should. And that gives us assurance now. So as we move into Artemis two and Artemis three, that we should understand what's going on, we should understand these new systems that we built, and they should work pretty darn well. That's an encouraging thing to do. And the similar thing is going to happen here when we look at Exodus chapter three, is we're going to look at kind of a test run, but it's not really a test run because, I mean, it happens in history. It's a real thing that happened and real people were involved, but it's showing the systems work perfectly so that when it comes up later, we can have confidence in it. And that's that's what's going to happen this morning. Now, chapter three is really long. There's a lot in there. I'm not going to go through all of it. Um, I'm going to try to summarize that story and talk about the theophany of it, the appearance of God in the middle of that and what that means for us. Now, we're in Advent. This is the third Sunday of Advent. Uh, We've been doing this this series on theophanies. And you remember the first one was the appearance of God in the garden. God was walking in the garden after the fall of Adam and Eve. And what uh, my friend Kyle told us was, God's with us even when we're in trouble, even when we're being rebellious, even when we're in these deep, dark times, God is still walking with us. And that was really a great encouragement. Last week, we looked at that instance where God made a covenant with Abraham, and he walked through the broken pieces of the animals in the appearance of a a smoking pot and a flaming torch. And what I said last week was, we can have that that truth that God says he's going to be with us, even when it's difficult. But how do we know? How will we know this? What, What assurance can we have? And the assurance that we saw last week is God makes covenant with us. And a covenant is an oath-bound promise. God promised, he showed that he would be with us and he walks with us. And so now what we're gonna see in in Exodus chapter three is the next step in that. It's not just that God is like, okay, well you've sinned and I'm still gonna be with you and I'll make a covenant with you, but we're just gonna continue on this bumpy road the way it is. That's not his plan. And So this week, what we're gonna see is this theophany, this appearance of God has to do with redemption. He's not willing to leave us where we were. He wants to win us to himself. He wants to draw us back. So that's what's going on. So the, the time frame here is um, Israel has been in Egypt for 400 years. Um, Jacob died. Joseph was in Egypt. The people moved into the land of Egypt because of the famine. They've been there for about 400 years. Now think about that. That's a long time. America is almost 250 years old. This is 400 years. This is is a very long time. And it's the time that God had promised to Abraham, it's time to redeem my people. And so Moses rises up. Moses is born. Uh, um, He's a special child. He winds up being taken by Pharaoh's daughter and raised in Pharaoh's household. But he still knows he's a Hebrew. And so he goes out to visit his Hebrew family and gets in trouble. And so he flees, goes to the land of Midian. Um, and he figures he's going to stay there he's he's going to wind up in Midian for a long time and so he's shepherding he's tending the the flocks of his father's his father-in-law's sheep and that's where the story picks up here in Exodus three he's he's out tending the sheep and he looks up on a mountain it's uh, the mountain of Horeb, which is another name for Mount Sinai and he sees a bush and this bush is up on the mountain and it's engulfed in flame and he, Looks he's, but it's not being consumed. I mean, a desert bush should burn up pretty quick, and, and this thing is still burning. And so he says, I'll turn aside and take a look at it. Now it, I don't know about you, but I get this picture of him walking along, looking over and going, Oh, there's a bush on fire. I'll go look at it. But he's looking up on the mountain. It probably took him a while to get up there. So as he's going, he's seeing this thing is not burning up. The the turning aside seems like it's a minor thing, but it's not. It takes a while. And so when he gets there, now remember Moses wrote Exodus. And so he speaks of himself in a second person. He's telling us this story. And the way he describes it is he says, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. So here's this theophany. This bush is not on fire. There's an angel standing in the middle of this bush. It looks like flame. It it portrays itself as flame, and it doesn't consume the bush. The angel of the Lord. Who is this angel of the Lord? And that's a big question. This is going to be much more complicated than it appears at first, because in in verse four it says that God called out of out to him out of the bush. So the ESV I think does a kind of clunky way of translating it. Out of the midst of the bush and out of the bush are actually the exact same two Hebrew words. It's the same phrase. So who's in the bush? Is it the angel of the Lord or is it God? Uh, Now there's a couple of ways you could probably resolve this. You could say, well it's the angel of the Lord is the fire. He's the presence. And then God is speaking through that. Um, That's possible, but the word angel means messenger. It doesn't mean apparition. So it seems the messenger of the Lord should be the one speaking. And then you could say, well, okay, so maybe what's going on here is, is it's the angel of the Lord and God is speaking through this angel. He's, he's the messenger. Um, That kind of works, but, What this angel says is something significant. He he talks about these things in the first person I am the God of your fathers. He doesn't say Yahweh is the God of your fathers. I am him. That's who I am. So if it's the angel speaking, it doesn't resolve this for us. So who is this angel? Well, when you look across the Old Testament at the angel of the Lord, the picture gets kind of complicated. Um, We've met him before in Genesis chapter 16. Hagar meets him. Now, the story in Genesis 16 is Hagar was Sarah's Egyptian slave. Sarah gives Hagar to Abraham to have a child so that she could take the child and raise the child as her own. Hagar gets pregnant, has a baby, and then Sarah loses her mind. She's just really upset about this and is abusive to Hagar. And so Hagar flees. She takes off into the wilderness, and she gets out for ways and runs out of water, and she's just like, we're dead. That's it. And then it says, the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to shore. So here's the angel of the Lord has met her again. This is what makes this really complicated. Listen what to what the angel of the Lord says. The angel of the Lord in verse 10 says, I will surely multiply your offspring so that you cannot be numbered for their multitude. The angel says, I will multiply. That's something God promises. That's not something that angels promise. Now, if you think I'm being, you know, splitting hairs on this and, and just being picky about what the angel says and doesn't say, I have biblical warrant for being picky. I was just reading in Jude this week. I read the book of Jude this week in, in my daily Bible reading. And in verse nine of Jude, it talks about Michael. It says, But when the Mi- archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment but said the lord rebuke you it would be blasphemous for an angel to say i rebuke you the angel might the archangel michael majestic huge being would consider that blasphemous and so he defers and he says the lord do that so when this other angel the angel of the lord speaks And he says, I will multiply you. I am the God of your fathers. We get a very complicated picture of who this being is. Now, in the Old Testament, we don't get the doctrine of the Trinity in a full, robust way. What we get is hints and and, and pictures and images of it. And the angel of the Lord is one of those instances that makes it room in our theology for God is a little more complicated than we thought he was. Because if the angel of the Lord Is the Lord and is distinct from the Lord, then that paints a pretty interesting picture of the angel of the Lord, that he could say he was going to do things that God was going to do. That means the angel is interesting. That also says something about who God is, because God is now the angel, but not the angel at the same time. And so when I was looking at this, I found a brief article written by Carissa Quinn at the Bible Project. That's an app you can read through the Bible, and they have videos and that kind of stuff. And she she brought up three points about this angel of the Lord, and I thought they were really helpful. Her first one is she says this figure helps us make sense of Jesus' claims. So Jesus said, "I and the Father are one." That's what he said in in uh, John chapter ten, and yet. He is the son. He's not the father. And the father is the father, not the son. And yet the father and the son are one. So do you, see, you get that same kind of complex picture. There's more going on here than we can really understand. So when you, under, when you look at Jesus saying these things, I and the father are one, and then him turn around on the cross and say, my God, why have you forsaken me? You get this idea that there's a unity, but a diversity. And we've already seen that. We met that in the angel of the Lord. He's a complicated person. So this figure helps us begin to make sense of Jesus' claims. If we're reading from the Bible beginning to end, we have precedent when we get to what Jesus says. It's not so out of the left field. And then I love the way she said the next thing. She said, this figure, this this angel of the Lord, creates shelf space for understanding the doctrine of the Trinity. She She says he creates shelf space. So imagine if... You were told you won this award and you were going to get this wonderful plaque. At home, you might look around and go, you know what? I I think it needs to be right here. So I'm going to start moving things around. I'm going to clear out a spot here on the shelf. I haven't got it yet, but when it comes, it's going right there because I'm very proud of this. That's the picture here is this theology of the angel of the Lord creates a space in our theology that says, we don't know what it is yet, but when it comes, we can fit it in here. It'll begin to make sense when it arrives. So when Jesus comes and he's born in a manger and yet he is God we can understand when he begins to talk about he and the father are one and that the spirit is is the lord and those kinds of things and so the doctrine of the trinity doesn't have to like get wedged into old testament theology there's already a gap there for it we just come to understand it more fully so who is this angel of the lord this angel of the lord is the lord and yet not the lord so the way many Conservative Christian theologians discuss the angel of the Lord as he's probably the pre-incarnate Christ. Before Jesus took on human nature, he would appear as this angel, the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord is very different than other angels. He's, he's not like other angels. He accepts worship. He he announces himself as I am the Lord, the God of, unlike other angels, other angels would never do that. So that kind of helps form that. That space for that Trinitarian theology. And then the last thing that she says is this figure helps us know God's character more. I'm going to put that one off until we get to our next point, because that's that's where we'll see it. So who is this, this angel of the Lord? This is God speaking. And yet it's not God. It's distinct from God. Jesus and the Father are one, and yet Jesus is Jesus, and the Father is the Father. So that's proper Trinitarian theology. We're beginning to introduce that already. So this theophany, this appearance of God, is Jesus showing himself to us. So when, Jesus in, or when John tells us in John chapter 1, no one has ever seen God at any time. The only begotten of the Father has revealed him. Now it begins to make sense. What we've seen when we see God most often is described as the angel of the Lord. There are other instances where it's not clear. But maybe that's what's going on here. So Jesus now shows up in order to deliver his people. So that's what comes next. What does this angel do? What's he going to do? Well, he says, I have seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I've heard their cry of their taskmasters, and I know their suffering. So again, what's going on here is Israel has been in Egypt for a very long time. Their grandfathers remember Egypt. Their great-grandfathers remember Egypt. Their great-great-grandfathers on back they have never known a time when they weren't in Egypt. Now, somewhere along the line, they became slaves in Egypt, because what it says at the beginning of Exodus is then a a king rose up who didn't know Joseph, and he feared the the people of Israel, and he enslaved them. When did that happen? We don't know, but it didn't happen right before this, because what else it says is those people were enslaved, and they built these cities, listed a handful of cities that they built. So they've been in slavery for a while, because They didn't have machines, that's why they had slaves, and it took a while to build these things. So that's the idea there. So now what we're seeing is these people have probably been in slavery all of their lives, and maybe their fathers have been in slavery all their lives. They haven't known anything else. (coughs) So what's going on here? When when the Lord says, now I've seen their affliction, did you miss it before? Did, Did you not catch that? Or their cries have risen up to me. Did they not cry out before, or did you just not hear them? What's going on? Well, don't forget, this is part of a the picture. There's much more to this than just what's being said here. We have to remember what, what the covenant was last week. Do you remember what happened in that? Your offspring will be as numerous as the stars, and then they will wind up in a country that's not their own for 400 years, and they'll be slaves. Why did God leave them in, for, in, in the country for 400 years? because the sin of the Amorites was not yet full. When the sin of the Amorites is full, then those people will return to this land, Abraham, and they're going to take it over. I'm going to destroy the nations that are here, and it'll be theirs. So that's not mentioned in this, but it's, it's part of the picture. So God has got many reasons for doing what he's about to do, what he's about to announce that he's going to do. Number one, it's time. He has set a time, 400 years, it's been 400 years. Number two. He has set a time for the Amorites. Their sin will reach a crescendo. It will reach a full measure, and then he will judge them. That's coming. That's They're almost to the tip of the, the, the brim of the cup. It's almost filled to the very top. And they're slaves. That was never the idea. So he hears their cry, and he says, this is not right. This is unjust that you're slaves. And now is the time for your deliverance. And the people cry out. So all of these reasons kind of pile together and say, what is he going to do? He's going to deliver his people. So he says, I will send you to Pharaoh. God is going to be the one who's going to deliver his people. This is going to be God's work. I will, I will show mighty signs among them. My right hand will uh, will work among them because I know that Pharaoh's going to just reject everything. So who delivered Israel from Egypt? God did that. God is the one that did that. He raised up these these signs and wonders, and he hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he broke Pharaoh's heart, and he finally broke his back and let him out. God did that. This is what the the picture of this epiphany is. This, This theophany is God has shown up because he's going to redeem his people. He's going to take them from a position of slavery and bring them into a position of freedom. He's going to take them as slaves in Egypt and make them the nation Israel. That's the promise. That's the picture. Jesus appears as an angel in the in the bush. The son of God appears as the angel in the bush, announces what he's going to do and he's going to bring them out. And so again, this is this is that space for the trinity, right? God is going to do this. How is he going to do it? Jesus is involved in this. This is this is where he's going to make this happen. And so the promise here is that he's going to liberate them. He's going to bring them out. He's going to stretch out his hand and strike Israel with wonders. And they will finally let them go. And then the good news is they're not going to go out as broke slaves, as freed slaves with nothing else. When we freed the slaves here in America, we didn't do much favors. They went out empty-handed. They they wound up going back onto the farm as sharecroppers and practically back into slavery because they weren't liberated and, and set free financially either. But these are going to be. Listen to what God says at the end. He says, Um, And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, and when they go, they will not go empty, but each woman shall ask uh, ask of her neighbor, and any woman who lives in her house, for silver, gold, jewelry, and clothing, and you shall put them on your sons and daughters. You will plunder the Egyptians. Not only are they going to release you from slavery, they're going to lavish wealth on you as you leave. Can you imagine that? What an incredible story. And so that's what God is going to do. Now, what are we supposed to do in this? What's our role in this? He looks to Moses and he says, Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh. I want you to go tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Now, could, could God have done this without Pharaoh having Moses talk with him? He, he could have passively, he could have said, people, sit back and watch. Don't do a thing. I'm going to handle all of this. But instead, he says, no, I'm going to take one of you, raise you up, and I'm going to use you. You're going to be my instrument by which I accomplish this great deliverance. Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh and tell him, let my people go. And I'm going to tell you right now, he's going to say no. And I'm going to do this. Now go back and tell him again, and he's going to say no, and I'm going to do this. And so God is, is not saying, don't worry, people, I got it. He's instead inviting his people into this process. He's going to redeem them and use them in the process of the redemption as well. So what is this? how does this fit with us? How does this help us? What's going on here? Well, first of all, this is Artemis 1. This is a test run to show that all the systems work. God will redeem his people. God will redeem his people, and Jesus will be a central figure in that. That works. That functions. We've seen that in the Exodus. God will use his people in the process of this redemption. They will have a role. They will be announcing what God is going to do. Moses did that. He did it faithfully. He did it regularly. Moses and Aaron were part of this process. That function works. It doesn't happen overnight instantly with one announcement. It takes a long time. It takes a process. It took 10 plagues or nine plagues and a a bad one and the death of the firstborn. That system works. So now turn to us and, and ask that same question: How does it work for our redemption? Well, what Paul tells us is we are slaves of sin. We're not free. We think before we become Christians. I remember I didn't want to become a Christian because I said I don't want to, you know, have to follow all those rules. I like being free. I wasn't free. I was a slave to sin. I was so interested in being cool and and fitting in that I would do anything to fit in. I was owned by that. That controlled and and directed me in everything I did. It was when I came to know Jesus Christ that God says, now you're free. You don't have to do those things. Ah, I've been liberated. I've been set free. Jesus has heard our groanings. The sin that we live under, the the things that we think are going to satisfy, never do. They always wind up letting us down. And so Jesus hears our cries in our mournings. And, and what it says in, in Genesis is that in the right time, he sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law. There was a set time. There's a set time for us to be under slavery when God will set us free. That system was demonstrated to work in the Exodus. It works now. It works better now because we have the Holy Spirit. The amazing part is when God set us free, instead of telling us, all right, now go into the promised land and kill everybody, he tells us something different. He says, go into all the world and announce who Jesus is. You will be my witnesses. So he tells us we're we're commissioned, like Moses was commissioned, we're commissioned to go and do what he's told us to do. There are still slaves out there. They're still scattered across the globe that we need to go and announce, let my people go and slavery and sin will be broken and they will be liberated. So how can you trust in this mission that we've been sent on that God is actually going to go with us? When we go out and we we share the gospel, when we witness who Jesus is, when we tell people about the truth. How can we know that this is going to work? Because Moses worked. Was Moses perfect? Was he 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 was the guy who had all the right answers. He knew every question. He had, you know, he was not the perfect guy. He he had to leave Egypt because he was not the perfect, or yeah, Egypt because he was not the perfect guy. It's not dependent on you. It's not dependent on Moses. Moses, as a matter of fact, what he'll say in the next chapter is: look, I can't even speak good. I, I speak poorly. You gotta, you can't use me in this, God. And God says, Yeah, I can use you. It's not a problem. That system has been tested. Can you share the gospel with somebody effectively? Can you be the witness to Jesus Christ effectively? If you don't have all the answers, if you're not the most eloquent speaker in the room, can you still do it? It doesn't depend on you. That's the picture that we got from the Exodus. So here's, the, here's where this all comes together, is God is with us in our trouble. That's, that's the, the garden. God has covenanted. He has made a covenant with us, and he will be pr- faithful to it. He's promised us. So that even when he feels distance, even when it's cold, uh, quiet and cold, you can know that he's still working. And then in Exodus chapter 3, this theophany, he shows up and he tells us the systems work. The plan that I have laid out, I've already demonstrated it once in history. If you go to Israel and put a stick in the ground and turn it over, you're going to find some part of Israel's history. It's rooted in reality. It's not fiction. This didn't happen on another planet. It happened in Israel and it's proven over and over and over again that God is faithful. So now when we come to the new covenant, we say, Lord, can you really save us? Can, can, would you really call me? He's like, yeah, because it's not up to you. It's not about you. It's not if you're good enough or bad enough. I will redeem my people. And once I have redeemed them, I'm going to call you to, to go out and redeem more and redeem more and redeem more. And it happens in the context of Theophany. And this is important for advent because we're waiting between theophanies we're waiting for the next theophany when when the burning bush is going to show up again but this one's called christmas and then we see jesus come and all of this plan now is put into action and so that's the benefit of having these theophanies recorded for us and and having moses tell us these stories is he's showing us god is faithful and he will do exactly as he's promised but he doesn't do that just for a theology conference. And, and isn't this interesting? He does it for us. So that as we're walking and struggling and, and fighting through these things, as we're facing doubts and, and troubles and dry times and great spiritual uh, mountain moments and and um, all of that, we, we look at this and go, but God is faithful through all of this, all of my ups and downs. When I'm crying out, when I'm saying I'm the wrong person, when I'm ready to rock and roll, let's go, I'm going to you know strike off the ear of the... Um, servant of the high priest, all of those times, God is saying, I'm with you through this. This is my plan, my purpose, and the system's work. Can you trust me? And then Christmas happens. And I'll tell you what, when I was sitting in the in the office, listening to the splashdown, which like I said, just happened a couple hours ago, I was like, this is really cool. You know what? This is nothing compared to what I got to do next. I get to go preach the word of God. The splashdown. Yeah, cool. Okay. Next. 10-year-old me coming back out, right? Let's go outside and play now. Let's go inside and hear the word of God now. So this is the promise of Christmas. This is the hope of Christmas. And so in Advent, if we set ourselves in this Advent mindset, we're looking forward to that moment. The next theophany, the big one, when Jesus shows up. Now, next week, we're going to see something a little different. Elijah and the the still small voice. Um, That'll be our next theophany for the fourth Sunday of Advent. Let's close in a word of prayer. Lord, we praise you and we thank you that the end of the ages has come upon us. We are in these these last days, these last times, this last phase of human history. The next thing that happens is Jesus' return, his rule in the new heavens and a new earth. And Lord, in that time now, we get to look back. We have the benefit that so many of the Old Testament saints didn't have of your inerrant word preserved perfectly for us, telling us over and over again, God is faithful, God is faithful, God is faithful, God is faithful, God is faithful. He will be with his people. He will redeem. He has shown us, Lord, this will work because it depends on you. And so, Lord, in this Christmas season, may we be reminded that when the baby appears in the manger, when the star is in the sky, when the the angels announce to the shepherds Lord, this is again proof that you will fulfill your purposes. Fill us with faith and hope in this Advent season so that Christmas might be a tremendous joy for us. We ask in Christ's name, amen. Please stand.